Welcome to the Tooth or Dare podcast with Irene and Katrina. The only dental podcast to bring you a Canadian RDH and an American RDH. These ladies bring you mic-dropping interviews with your favorite social media peeps and epic people doing amazing things in dentistry. Now let's put our over gloves together for Tooth Life, Irene and Katrina, the wine genist. And welcome back to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast with your favorite podcasting peeps, me, Katrina Reen, and my love, the amazing Irene Irene. Hi, Irene. How are you today? Oh, yeah. That is how I am. I am. I, I am. I am. Yeah. I feel like my best hive life. We have we have a lot to unpack about what's happening in the world of Irene Irene. Oh um, yes. Let's walk yes. through this. What 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 has happened in your well, world late, over the well, past? We're late in releasing this episode because yeah. of me. No, actually, not because of you. I mean, but- yeah. I mean, all 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 around. I, I have I play I play a part in all of the things. That's um, what a partnership is, but that's why I love that's you. That's what have you have you ever uh, and like side note, but Mark Costas recommends this Mark book. Costas. He mentioned this book called uh oh shit, what is it called? Ultimate Ownership. Huh. Extreme Ownership. And basically it's like it's an interesting book. It's about management and um it's like the Navy SEALs and whatever, but the principle is that regardless of what mistake happens in your organization ultimately you take ultimate responsibility and extreme ownership of that error. So I take some extreme ownership of us mm. being late, uh, some of which I could have controlled and others in which I could not have controlled. So it's been two years in the making of me being the chosen one of not getting COVID. And all of a sudden I got COVID. And oh. like, I don't even know from where. I mean, I am like, the definition of safety when it comes yeah. to like PPE at the office. I wear it mm-hmm. in 95 all the time and a shield. And um, somehow, I don't know, I did this event on Thursday. The next morning, I had like a sore throat. I took a COVID test. It was negative. Or it was actually not. I had a sore throat. The next evening, I took a COVID test. It was negative. Um, and then when I woke up in the morning, it was like a magical line appeared overnight. Oh my gosh. So that negative COVID test turned into like mm. a faint line of a positive. And then I took another test and it was positive. Oh, so, so I spent, yeah, I've been horizontal and the kicker, which now has me thinking that perhaps my spontaneous hives are viral because my entire body broke out into like the worst hives I've had in the longest time. My face, like you saw the photos. Oh my gosh. I I sent Katrina naked photos only when I have hives. (laughs) Like I don't send her the good ones of me only when I'm swollen and have like hives that resemble like, do you know one of those like aerial view maps from Google maps where it's like, it shows like the population based on like how many lights are on at Mm -hmm. night yeah Mm -hmm. so it's like that like i'm sending her an aerial view of the concentration of the cities and their bright lights (laughs) of my body and like the hives if you ever ever wondered if you can get hives on your palms the answer is yes Mm -hmm. you can also get them on the bottoms of your feet and in your ears Mm -hmm. um and in my hair like in my hair yeah your hairline you had it yeah oh my god it was terrible um all of the spots our 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 president 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 Pre- so um, that happened yes um and 
Uh, yeah. Well, it, 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 I, yeah. I will. So first of all, I want to say I'm I'm so sorry that you're experiencing that. I mean, it's it's hard enough, um, you know, feeling sick, but when you've got a zillion other things on your plate, like, I don't know, having yeah. have on the microphone with me, um, you know, that just kind of no. adds to I all think of it. It's just stressful. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if like the hives, there were, there's a lot of really interesting pieces of research that say that, I mean, now before it didn't, but now that um, skin conditions, rashes and hives are a symptom of, of COVID. Mm-hmm. So when I first got hives, which is January two years ago, mm-hmm. that wasn't a thing because, you know, COVID was this magical item that was happening in Asia and hadn't really crossed uh, oceans yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like now more and more, they're saying that, you know, hives is one of them. And so now I'm thinking like, is this not my first time? Like, did I have COVID in January of last year mm-hmm. and didn't know it or not last year, the year before and just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no way I could have even found out because we didn't have the appropriate have test at the time. So it's like, I thought I was the chosen one, but really I was the chosen one and had it first before everybody else. Who knows, right? Well, you know, and, and we, now it's and this lingering thing. We talked about this. It's so odd. Like there were a lot of us, there There happens to be a dental meeting that happens, oh, I don't know, like right after <laughs> Thanksgiving and right before right. Christmas. And it's like a mm-hmm. massive one that people, I don't know, it's like on the East Coast somewhere really Is that big. Greater New York I mean, or Chicago <laughs> Midwinter? I can never remember. <laughs> it's Greater New York. And a bunch of us went to Greater New York in um, November, December of 19. Mm-hmm. And all came back feeling very sick. But mm-hmm. as a speaker, like how many times are you on like gross airplanes and recycled air right. and whatever and time zones and cold weather? And so you just yeah. – and, and your sores always throw – your sores always throw – your throat's always sore. <laughs> yeah. Your throat's always sore because you're speaking for like, I don't know, three to six hours. So like you are – like you're and just – And that's you're what I thought happened fatigued. to me. I right. did like this event. I was with patients most mm. of the day. Then I left. I went to this event. There was like a dinner. There was like a panel discussion and I was talking for hours and hours. Right. Right. Yeah. I was like, maybe that was it. Pop mm-hmm. a cough drop. I think I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And here we you are. You never know. And here we are. So that here happened. Um, we haven't, I, I think I want to do things a little differently yeah, in, yeah. Our, in our intro because yes. we have an episode and I know yes. who the episode is, but I have a backstory that of something that happened to me this week that made us choose a different direction on which episode was going to come out this Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the reasons why we're late is because we decided last minute to move things around a little bit. Uh, But we do have a new sponsor for this episode. And uh, I would really love to welcome Perio Protect to the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited to to work with you. And um, we have a lot of really great information about Perio Protect that we'll link in the sheets below. Mm -hmm. But Katrina, you know a lot more about Perio Protect than I do. Yeah. Um, I know these these elements here. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's just walk through what uh, Perio Protect is. It's a non-invasive perio tray. It's a Mm -hmm. therapy that holds medicaments deep down and below the gums and the tissue Mm -hmm. for those that have never used it before. Like myself, I've never used perio protect before. And it's an interesting concept that is made by a lab that like mm-hmm. we take molds of their mm-hmm. of their the patient's gums and mouth and with our records uh, we send those records to their lab that create these custom trays they get shipped back to us and then we help our patients with some therapies that I think just take about 15 minutes or so so they can do it while they're watching television or 
you know, showering, morning commute, whatever. Um, yeah. But you know a lot more about the science behind what goes inside the trays and the identification of – that's what I want to know more about is the identification of the ideal patient type and what are we looking for when when prescribing something like this. Yeah. So I think – to really deep dive into this, um, it's important for us to take a step back and look at what our practice philosophy is and what our protocols are in our practice. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Tanya Dunlap, uh, who is the CEO and the beautiful brains behind this whole, um, concept actually, um, asks the question quite a bit. And that is what's your number? Like how many bleeding points in your patient's mouth are okay before you then say, okay, something is wrong. There's a problem here. I have a concern. And, you know, when you take a look at the typical breakdown, the American Academy of Periodontology says that we will accept less than 10% of the mouth bleeding. That's considered either, um, you know, kind of in that range of healthy 10 to 30% of the mouth. That's when it's considered to be in the earlier stages of incipient gingivitis and then, Mm. you know, 30% above is an area of concern. Uh, big focus groups, you know, hundreds of dental professionals in some of these studies said that 10 bleeding upon probing sites is a good threshold for newer maintenance patients. Meaning if we see uh, anywhere between, um, you know, 11 or above bleeding upon probing sites, those are areas then when we um, would want to certainly talk to the patient, hmm. have an, you know, uh, have a counseling session with the patient and say, this is an area of concern. In dentistry, currently, the vast majority of us use bleeding tendency as the key identifier for inflammation. So, you know, when I travel and I ask hygienists, like, how do you measure inflammation? They say bleeding. Bleeding. So we know, for example, that bleeding is a a critical component to the activity of disease. And Mm -hmm. so really when we talk about, you know, managing that bleeding tendency, the question I always ask our colleagues is, so when you find out that the patient has inflammation, what are you doing? What do you do? Um, So the patient comes in every six months. So twice a year, you're breaking up the acquired pellicle, you're breaking up the biofilm, and then your patient says, thanks so much for this cleaning. Mm, My teeth feel nice and smooth. And then they leave your practice. They come back six months later, or I mean, how many times do patients try to push that to like seven months, eight months, right? Do I really need to come in that? So you're like trying to twist their arm, right? Uh, So the idea being, how fast does that acquired pellicle form again on the tooth structure? Within 24 to hours. Right? Within 20 minutes, the acquired pellicle is on there. Within 48 hours, we know that biofilm biofilm. has begun to mature. And if we don't see appropriate biofilm removal within 48 hours, that's when we start to see the resurgence of inflammation. Sure. So then the question becomes... When I mean, we're seeing is our it patients even considered months, resurgence if the tissue and the attached gingiva doesn't have enough time to even start healing? Like correct. the healing process yep. doesn't even really begin because that biofilm interrupts that new attachment. That's right. right. That, well, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so the idea being, you know, whether we're treating an inflammatory process or whether we're treating an attachment loss process – what are we really doing when we're sending our patients out the door? And we we try, right? We tell our patients things like you should floss more, you should right. brush more. But I mean, do they really seriously follow that those recommendations from us? And yet we roll our eyes because then we have patients that are really into oil pulling. So it's like, I don't understand. You won't brush <laughs> yeah. your teeth, you won't floss, but you'll, but you'll swish sit there for something. with coconut oil in your mouth for and 20 minutes. <laughs> for like 20 minutes. Like seriously. Help me understand this. Right. I'm right. not I'm not in alignment here with what's going on. Right. 
So the idea being the development of these trays, these are customized trays that are specifically designed for each patient, depending mm-hmm. on the anatomy of their mouth and their periodontal um, probing depth situation. Right. Send all this information to the lab, and then you get this custom fit um, series of trays, maxillary mandibular, and medicaments, hydrogen peroxide gel. Um, Mm -hmm. At the viscosity of this gel and the way that these trays seat down, it actually presses, it expresses the gel down into the pocket instead of like a bleaching tray where like the gel will like go over the top of the tray. It actually expresses this hydrogen peroxide down into that subgingival space. Why is that important? Because we know in the subgingival space what kind of critters like to hang out down there. Right. Your anaerobic gram-negative bacteria. Gram-negative, sure. So now we're pumping H2O2, two molecules of oxygen, into that subgingival space. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you would imagine, when you're placing patients on a medicament like this and they're utilizing it daily, um, the results speak for themselves. You see a reduction in the inflammatory process, dramatic reduction in bleeding tendency, uh, resolution uh, of periodontal pockets. But what's more, um, we've had clinicians even say things like, when you have the patient use this, it's easier. It softens the calculus. It makes it easier for the calculus to remove. Right. It whitens the teeth because it's right. hydrogen peroxide. peroxide. Um, you know, as well as, of course, it reduces the need for uh, placing some of these patients on systemic antibiotics, um, you know, if that's, you know, the, right. the risk that we may need to be moving towards. So I really love this. Um, and So really what Tanya has been doing is creating some wonderful opportunities for us as clinicians to look at how we're presenting the paradigm shift from I'm just doing a cleaning to I'm your preventive specialist. And what I am doing is focusing on gingival health uh, through effective strategies to help maintain your gum tissues. So she, uh, she's got some really great pointers. And I just, for those of you who are driving to work, you know, on the way in, um, about to treat a bunch of patients, a, a couple of really neat shared, uh, talking points from, um, the amazing Tanya Dunlap, who, um, by the mm-hmm. way, is just incredible. Um, she says, you know, particularly for patients with comorbidities, um, as well as, you know, even those who you know are interested in cosmetic benefits, how many times do we hear patients say, Oh, you know, I'm not really worried about the inflammation in my mouth, but can you talk to me about bleaching procedures? Right? So, um, we know that this is one of those medicaments that patients are going to be more inclined to move toward because of the benefits they see in that. Yeah. So uh, I love some of these talking points. Our goal is to get your gums so healthy that you yeah. don't lose any bone. I love these points. I was reading them earlier too. Like goal is to help you avoid surgery. And adi- I love just mm-hmm. starting with our goal. And in dental hygiene school, goals and goal setting and whether they're uh, measurable or partially met or unmet, like those are all things that we really focused on as students. And it's like we've kind of forgotten some of those in the monotony of what we do in everyday dental hygiene life. I've started setting goals again, Mm -hmm. like now that I have my own practice and I'm responsible for my charts and everything. I mean, I went back to the basics and started with templates from dental hygiene school and setting goals is really important. Something as easy as like, you know, if someone is brushing twice daily. Like that, mm-hmm. that should some be something that's verbalized because you ask someone if they floss, but oftentimes we forget to go back to basics. Um, what one was your favorite? You mine, mine was our goal is to give you confidence mm-hmm. with a healthy, beautiful smile and fresh breath. Yeah, 
I, I love that one. And I, I think the, the reality is why that's such a powerful piece is because it is a motivator for patients. Yeah. You know, when you ask patients, like, why do you go in for your cleaning every six months? It's like, well, I want to keep my gums and teeth healthy and I want to have fresh breath and I want white teeth. I mean, it, these are the things that patients say. So mm -hmm. it really leans into the true motivator of the patient, uh, which yeah. I absolutely love because now when you're saying our goal is to give you a healthy, beautiful smile and fresh breath, what patient is going to argue with that and say, no, well, I don't want a healthy smile. I don't want a beautiful smile. I don't want fresh breath. And that's why they're sitting in your chair. You've got a captive audience that values sure. that. Um, sure. And so I think that's a critical component, um, not only in lasting financial value, but also that improved quality of life that patients are looking to healthcare providers to be able to support. So I love that. Um, you know, for those of you who are curious about PerioProtect, um, I really encourage you to spend some time. Uh, we'll place a, a link in the show notes uh, for y'all to kind of check out. Um, and I even implore you to consider trying PerioProtect for yourself. See how right. it feels, um, you know, to to wear this uh, because hygienic, we all know that if, if you're using it, you can speak a lot better to it with your patients. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a really great way for us to continue to extend the reach beyond the every three, four, or six months that we see our at-risk patients. So totally. Thank you, Project. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we, we, the reason we chose to go in this different direction is because the morning that I woke up feeling not so hot and I did my COVID test and it was positive, um, I got an email that so, I shared with you, Katrina. Hold on. So you should have that morning, you should yes. have been in clinical practice. But I should have because yes. you woke up that morning and you were positive. Yes. You stayed home, which is the smart, yeah, responsible I canceled, thing. To I do. canceled my day. Okay. I canceled my day, um, and you know I stayed home mm -hmm. and I started to go through the motions of a sick person. But I thought, okay, before I get before sick, you sick, drink root beer and watch The Price Is Right, which is what the rest of us do when we're homesick from school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> before I do that, I'm going to just, you know, tidy up some emails, do some customer service stuff. Um, Tooth Life is doing like a 50% off everything on our store sale. So, uh, you know, I figured that there'd be a lot of people like, I need to change my order or my address is wrong or whatever, you know, like the, the general mm -hmm. customer service stuff. And there were about like 40 or 50 emails there. But there was one email that came in. Um, and I usually do the like emails that I can see that people want to cancel their emails or cancel their orders. I do those kind of last. Uh, but this one came in and I, I let it skip the skip the the, the order of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a person who had sent an email asking to cancel their order uh, because their order was not going to arrive in time. Email came in around 8 a.m. and I saw it around 9 um, and it had been sitting there for like 43 minutes. Like, I don't know why I remember, I remember the countdown and you'll know mm. in a second why I remember mm. the countdown, but, um, email came in saying they, they wouldn't be at the location to pick up their order or to receive their order, who was going to be a gift for a dental assistant in their practice that was going to become a, a registered dental hygienist, whom that was the same title that this person that placed the order was a dental hygienist or is a dental hygienist. Oh, wow. Um, and um, the reason that they weren't going to be able to get that order in time is, and they placed the order on Wednesday, and this is Friday now, um, because they were planning on taking their own life at noon. So I got two emails from this person 
the first one came in from the email address in which they placed their order under. So I was able to open up Shopify and pull up their name and address and phone number and everything. And a second email came in like maybe 15 minutes after the first one came in. To me, I saw them both at the same time. But it was like same email address, but instead of from Gmail, it was from Yahoo, not associated with their account. So I guess they must have forgotten which account that they placed the order through. But regardless, like I found out who this person was. And um, I called them. Like, what do you do? Mm. Also, this person is not in Canada. I'm in Canada. This person's in the United States. Mm. And um, so I, you know, I went through Facebook. Can I find who this person is on Facebook? No presence on Facebook. Not a follower on Instagram. Not a follower on my Instagram or the Tooth Life Instagram. Just like a random person that placed an order that has placed four other orders in the past. So it's like mm. not a new customer. Mm-hmm. So I call this person, go straight to voicemail. And at this point, it's like 9.45, almost 10 o'clock. And I'm panicking because I've got two hours left until this person does whatever they're planning on doing. Um, So I call, no answer. So I find the local police station phone number. Mm -hmm. um, And I call the police in their local district. And I send them the address. And and the police go to the person's house and, like, knock on the door. And... Uh, and then I get a phone call from the police asking for the emails because apparently in the state, um, if a claim like this is made and it's believed to be true, then they actually call an ambulance and they take mm-hmm. the person away and they admit mm-hmm. them into the hospital and they have to be cleared by a variety of different people. Um, so that happens. So I get a phone number, phone call from a police officer saying, can you send me quickly text messages? Cause they can't like restrain this person until they see those items. I tried to forward the emails, but they weren't forwarding for some reason. At this point it's like 1130. So the police are waiting outside their home and I send a text message to this police officer who then provides me with their phone number, their phone number. And then they call an ambulance and they take this person away um like at like 11 40 so like I'm sitting by my minutes. computer this entire time yeah trying try to like get an update um and i and uh yeah that was the first time that i'd ever encountered anything like this i was like panicking i'm like what do i do do i call the ADHA like does ADHA have a hotline or something fun fact they don't because I mm. called Matt and I was like Matt what Matt. do I do for Matt <laughs> I did I was like I was freaking out I'm like I don't know what I do do I call Matt and see if Matt can like pull his past president strings to like Make get me this happen. person's phone number like I don't know wow. like ADHA can do anything <laughs> um Wow. Yeah, I'm like. So this is what's so strange about this for our our viewers at home. This is what's so bizarre about the entire chain of events as this happened. So 48 hours prior to this, so we're this is all happening for you, Irene, on Friday, and you and I were texting back and forth. Like I, I, I remember I woke up. I'm in Pacific time, so I'm three hours behind you. So I remember like I woke up and I like sprung out of bed. I was in um, Portland. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this is happening. But this is what's so strange is 48 hours before that on Wednesday, you and I recorded the episode that y'all are yeah. about to hear. Yeah. Which probably was about the time that that individual was actually placing that order. 
by the way, yeah. right? Because they placed yeah. the order on Wednesday. So <clears throat> it was we actually the listened- same time, Katrina. Like I looked at the timestamp while we were recording what? that episode. This person had placed an order. Wow. Yeah. Like just like how I'm getting goosebumps. Like it's, it's so strange how this happens. Um, but we recorded this episode, which y'all are going to hear in a minute. Um, and uh, and the guest is uh, Mr. Frank King. For those mm-hmm. of you who know Frank, you know that he is an incredible advocate in um, suicide prevention. And he um, has really dedicated his career to helping um, provide, um, you know, education, awareness. His motto and philosophy is let's just start the conversation. Let's normalize having these really brave conversations with people when they say things like, I'm going to take my own life, that you need to act on that. And he started to walk through it. And you'll, you'll hear it in the podcast. So what I want you to know as you're listening to this episode is Irene of Wednesday has no idea as she's listening to this episode that 48 hours later, she's actually going to take and implement, integrate a lot of this into uh, what it is that she ended up doing to mm-hmm. Irene. You saved I spoke that person's to this person life. On, I spoke to this person on the phone, Katrina, like, like wow. I called and it went straight to voicemail. And then as the police officers were waiting outside their home, they must've turned their phone on, listened to my voicemail or saw my response or email. Like, I, I think I made like four or five different attempts mm. and it just kept going straight to voicemail. And then they called me and I asked the questions that Frank told me to ask because mm. I'd never gone through this before and I'd never met anyone that has had a plan. This person had a plan, Katrina. Oh my gosh. And I didn't even know that asking a question like, do you have a plan is a question. Yeah. I, I, I didn't either. So, so I, I just yeah. want to, I want to, acknowledge something irene you're sitting there on a friday you're covered in hives you're covid positive yeah. <laughs> like you I are not your best two interviews you had to cancel yeah no, you, you had to cancel like your whole day doctors right, right. Like, work school and here you are because honestly like <clears throat> and 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 what i mean to say is our work extends beyond i build out this procedural code for this person period like we mm. are you know, we are regulated reporters in our state, in our province, wherever we are. Like our work goes beyond. I'm clocked in with my scrubs that have the office logo on it. And this is yep. just such a beautiful example of the ways in which you're a preventive specialist in in so many facets and people, people who who you've maybe never seen, right? Spoken to once. And and you you change that person's life, the 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 lives of their loved ones, their friends. Um, you know, you, you saved a life, which is just absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for being such an incredible I mean, don't example. Thank me. I wish, I wish that I, there, I wish that I didn't have a life to have to say if like, sure. well, I of course, know. I don't of know, course. maybe I'm being like dramatic, but no, 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 like, but you're right. It was intense. But the reality is like this <clears throat> people, and this is, this is what Frank says, and you'll hear this in the episode, which we're going to roll out for you in a minute. But uh, Frank says in the episode, you have to start the conversation. We have to start normalizing this. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, uh, I think from here we'll, uh, we'll just roll out the episode. This is our, uh, wonderful friend, the incredible, Frank King and his wonderful words of wisdom. So, uh, well, let's roll this and uh, we'll check y'all out on the flip side. On the flippity flip. Peeps, we are really blessed and honored to have a really cool guy hanging out with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Frank. Doctor? 
Are you Dr. Frank King? <laughs> are you Mr. I'll, I'll Frank King? Are you? I'll are you take just... the promotion if you. No, I'm not a doctor. I don't, <laughs> I don't even play I was looking I... at LinkedIn and I'm like, there are a lot of Frank Kings He's on just... on LinkedIn, and and you're, so you're not a doctor, but you've got a no. lot of dental people that are connected with you on LinkedIn, and I'm very excited to learn more about you. Frank has done 35 years of comedy work, and you've done. TED Talk. You've been a coach for seven years. You've done six different TED Talks on a variety of different topics, including mental health, lifestyle insights, uh, running corporations and colleges. And I mean, the list kind of goes on. I, I'm really interested to hear more about how you got into speaking and coaching. And welcome to the to the podcast. I am a Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> I stay at their hotels all the time. I <laughs> told I told my first joke in fourth grade. Yeah, do you remember what it was? Kids, I told my first joke in fourth grade. What was your first joke? Well, the teacher knew that I had I should be wearing my glasses because mm. everybody in my family is extremely nearsighted. I wrote a joke that we were descended from the people of the island of Myopia, <laughs> which was conquered over and over because they never saw the enemy coming, mm. <laughs> and so. Thank you for getting that, Katrina. Oh, that's and good. <laughs> she decided that the reason I wasn't wearing my glasses was I was afraid of the reaction of the other students. So she thought, we'll just pull the Band-Aid off. Mm. Get me to the front of the class. Turn me away from the kids. Put my glasses on. Turn me back. Everybody sees Frank all at once. We get the whole four eyes thing out of the way. Now, bear in mind, this is in the mid-late 60s. There were no fashion frames. There were these black plastic now. Buddy Holly, very mm -hmm. fashionable these days, mm -hmm. Ray-Ban. Mm -hmm. uh, girls had cat-eye glasses in a variety of colors, and that was pretty much it. Hmm. So she put my glasses on me, turned me back to the class. She looks down. This is dark. She looks down at me, and she goes, see, you look intelligent. And I looked up at her, and I said, yes, that would explain all the laughs. <laughs> and she was hysterical. <laughs> she had to excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge because she was laughing so hard. And I thought to myself, at that moment, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Wow. Yep, fourth grade. Then in high school, I took drama three years, never got a part outside the chorus. Mm. And I thought, you know what? If I do stand-up, I can write, direct, produce, and star in my own little show every night. <laughs> so nobody had ever done the senior talent show, done stand-up. So I did, and I won. And I told my mama. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. And my mother, who is big on education, every woman in our family, and man, but woman especially, has been educated at college since, I think, before the Depression. And so she said, son, you're going to college. I do not care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care. But you, my son, are going to be a goat herder with a college degree. <laughs> so I got two degrees at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Sad to say we lost in the finals. I know. And sorry. Good game, though. Yeah. Um, and I actually spoke one time, shared a stage with Mike Krzyzewski. Wow. I sat next to him at lunch. We had a long conversation. He's one of those guys when you're talking to him, you, you feel like there's nobody else in the world. His focus is so hmm. 10 years later, Katrina. I'm in San Diego waiting for my bag to come to the carousel. Look over at the other carousel. There's Mike Krzyzewski. Ten years now. Hmm. One lunch, one conversation. I go, hey, Mike. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, Frank. Oh, wow. Amazing. Wow. So, so anyway, 
Um, I got a job. Were you wearing a name company. tag that says, "Hi, my name is Mike <laughs> <laughs> or Frank"? Yeah, Green, yeah. you're Hi. a comedian. Look at well, you. Well, I mean, I gotta step it up. I feel like yeah. usually my jokes yeah, are the funniest that. ones, and but well, now right. Every, I've got no, competition. It, it happens when I talk to people; they want to up their game. You know, it's like playing uh, a sport with somebody who's a little better. Yeah, you want to up your game. <laughs> sure. So anyway, long story short, I married my high school sweetheart, and went to work for her father's insurance company. And they transferred us to San Diego. And it just so happens in San Diego, to this day, there is a branch of the world-famous comedy store that's on Sunset in Los Angeles. Mm. Now, the my fourth TEDx talk is called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. Because um, even though she was a lovely woman, we did not belong together. We had nothing in common. But you know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant, I wasn't. And <laughs> oh, shit. And okay. All right. I, was selling I was selling insurance, which is a good business, but it wasn't for me. And I was not going to the comedy store because my lovely wife, that's not what she wanted for me. Mm. And I realized this is true because I live with depression and thoughts of suicide. I was going to kill myself if I didn't change something and fast. My second thought was, wait a minute, I could quit my job, divorce my wife, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, hell, I can still kill myself. That's how I got into comedy. There are a few things more powerful on the planet than somebody with absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. I get on stage, my first open mic night, halfway through my five minutes, going pretty well for an open mic night. Inside my head, halfway through, I heard another voice. It said simply, you're home. Hmm. And so I knew I was in the right place. My second thought was I'm going to do this for a living. Of course, I had absolutely no idea how. <laughs> I've, I've threatened to write a speech, a keynote called, What Could You Do If You Didn't Know No Better? Hmm. Because I didn't know how difficult it would be to make a living doing stand-up comedy. But as luck would have it, starting about 85 to 95, there was a comedy club wave. Comedy clubs opening everywhere. Mm -hmm. so, so I said to my girlfriend in December of 85, I said, I'm going on the road to be a professional stand-up comedian. Do you want to come along for the ride? Thinking she'd go, oh, hell no. She goes, yeah. Hmm. So we gave up our apartment, our job, put everything in storage. We couldn't fit into my T-tiny Dodge Colt. <laughs> and she and I were on the road without a home for 2,629 nights in a row nonstop, seven Whoa. years and change. Wow. Wow. And we, we worked with Dennis Miller and Seinfeld and Jeff Foxworthy and Ron White, Ellen and Rosie and Adam Sandler and Kevin James, open for the Beach Boys and Lou Rawls and Barry Wilson and Randy Travis. I mean, it was an amazing seven years and whatever. Then I did a little radio. And when that ended, because there are two kinds of people in radio, people who've been fired, people who are going to be fired. <laughs> and the comedy club thing was disappearing. So my act was very clean. I thought I'll be a, I'll be a corporate comic. I'll do the rubber chicken circuit after dinner, after lunch. Mm -hmm. And, and by the way, my friends would ask me, what's the difference between a corporate comic and a club comic? Well, about $5,000 a day plus travel. <laughs> so I'm no math major, mm -hmm. but yeah. <laughs> And I did that until about 2007, eight when the recession hit and the speaking business dropped off 80% practically overnight. Yeah. My wife and I lost everything we'd worked for in 25 years in a chapter seven bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Literally went to the barn to practice. Uh, spoiler alert. I did not pull the trigger. Hmm. Yeah, I know. It's a little dark. A friend of mine came up to me after a keynote recently. He goes, Hey man, how come he didn't pull the trigger? I go, Hey man, 
could you drive sounds like yeah. that's disappointing <laughs> uh yeah it's dark i'm telling you it's it's dark so what happened was at the end of the um uh, about 2010, as the speaking business began to come back, meeting planner said to me, we, Frank, we love you. We just can't pay you five grand just to be funny. You've got to teach our audience something. Well, I'm mm -hmm. just, I, I be, I've been wanting to do that since I was in the insurance business and saw the old school guys, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy. I thought I could do that if I just had something to say. Mm -hmm. So I read a book by a woman named Judy Carter, Judy Carter, called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. Hmm. And Judy's a friend of mine. She said, Frank, read my book. I said, okay. Going into the book, I thought I got nothing. And then halfway through, I realized I do have something to say. I do have a story. And if I get some suicide prevention training or certifications, that can be my learning objectives, my takeaways, my able tos. Hmm. So I got several certifications, have continued getting certifications. And my second hurdle was, well, you, you've been a comedian all these years. Everybody thinks of you as a funny guy. How, are you, how in the hell are you going to rebrand? My wife said famously, do a TEDx. And I said famously, what's a TEDx? <laughs> Just so happens that week at, uh, on Speaker Match, which is kind of an online speakers bureau, somebody put up uh, an application for a TEDx in Vancouver, British Columbia. I thought, okay. So I got it on my first mm -hmm. try, which is rare. Yeah, but that's cool. One of the reasons I got it, got it was I was going to do suicide prevention. I'm a comedian. And, and in that time from the time I applied to the time they called me for the audition, Robin Williams passed away from suicide. So they said, look, if you'll mention Robin and his story in your TEDx, we'll, we'll have you do the TEDx with us. I think that was the linchpin. Mm -hmm. Had it not been for that, I'm not sure I would have gotten the TED. Um, so I went up and did it. And like, like a lot of people with mental illness, I had been covering it up for, well, forever. Nobody knew I was depressed and suicidal until I mentioned it on stage at the TEDx mm. as part of my presentation. Um, people with mental illness are often very good actors. I have a Screen Actors Guild card for a reason. Mm -hmm. I'm a great actor. Um, and my wife was getting ready to push play on YouTube in November when it posted. And I said, look, don't hit play yet. There's about a half a dozen things I need to tell you that I don't want you to learn watching the video. She had no idea. She knew that occasionally I got down, but she had no idea that I'd come so close to killing myself and so forth. And the that was the rebranding, the beginning of the rebranding. Actually, I practiced my TED in front of the Chamber of Commerce. They called me one time before my TED, and they said, look, our, our speaker bailed out yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, can you come <clears throat> in Wednesday morning and do 20 minutes? And I know they, they thought I was going to do comedy. I go, yeah, can I do my TEDx? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I've got my face in my notes. I'm running the PowerPoint. I'm not really paying attention to the audience. When I get done, they're all standing. Half of them are crying. And I thought, son of a gun. I do believe I'm onto something. And at least a half a dozen of them came up to me afterwards individually, and each one had a story, things I never knew about them or their families. And that's what I realized was, even though one person dies by suicide in the U.S. every nine minutes, hardly anybody talks about it unless you bring it up, and then mm -hmm. everybody's got a story. So that became my tagline, start the conversation, break the silence, break the stigma. And that's what my clients often tell me, we just brought you in here to start the conversation, break the silence. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many men who are not clinicians who talk about this, especially men who are willing to get on stage, be vulnerable, 
I shed a few tears or get close when I'm telling my stories. I like to take the audience on a journey. I believe a good keynote, good anything, speech-wise, you move them from pole to pole, laughter to crying and back. Right. Because you know the old saw. They're not going to remember what you said, probably, but they are going to remember how. A woman come up to me after a thing I did in Iowa for an agricultural group because farmers have a high rate. Hmm. She looks me me right in the eye. She goes, honey, you made me laugh twice and cry once. I said, well, my work is done. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's – I was listening to Brene Brown's book on vulnerability. Because people kept telling me, you got you to read Brene Brown. I'm like, how good could she be? So I'm listening <laughs> to the audible version. Halfway through, I realized, oh, son of a gun. That is my superpower. It's mm. being vulnerable on stage and exposing, you know, I get up there and let my freak flag fly. Because I'm nuttier than a squirrel turd. Trust me. <laughs> and as is my entire family. I think we just found the title of this episode. I think that's episode. exactly the title of our episode, Nuttier yeah, Than a Squirrel that's... Turd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yeah, well, that'll get people it. to tune in, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you start getting into speaking in the dental industry? I mean, what? Let, wait, let's just do the thing, Katrina. We yeah. totally yeah. forgot to. Yeah, I mean, you to told thing, us yeah. about like being in fourth grade, but like we got to go a little bit further back. And I think in the interest of figuring out a little bit more about you, Katrina needs to know if you played in the band. So the question is, oh God. what were you oh like God. in high school? What were you like as a as a young man before you went to college? Did you play an instrument in the band? It's an important question. Yes. By the way, in fourth grade, one of the yeah. reasons I didn't want to wear my glasses was I was not really hip clothing-wise. Oh, okay. I wasn't mm-hmm. very preppy like most Southern kids are. Um, you know, double knit slacks, band lawn shirt, hush puppies. Where you are you from originally? North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. You add a pair of ugly glasses. That's basically head to toe birth control. Uh, <laughs> no woman's going to get anywhere close. So in fourth grade, I took the seashore test, which is a test that determines if you're tone deaf or not. Mm-hmm. And I passed. And they said, what do you want to play? My dad, who passed away at 40, by the way, of the heart condition I've had fixed twice. Um, played the drums. There was a set mm. of drums at home. And actually, my mother sold it because I banged on it too hard. And I said, I want to play the drum. And they said, we don't have a drum. Pick something else. So I picked the trumpet, which I hated with a passion. Mm. If, mm-hmm. picked, if I picked, if they let me play the drum, you know, the snare drum, mm-hmm. I probably would, would be a percussionist to this day. Mm-hmm. But I was in all the classes in junior high school my mother said to me, Frank, what do you think all the people in your classes have in common? Because, you know, you moved in blocks. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we're all in the band. Well, what it was was that was the early AP classes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the band geeks were, you know, good students. And right. that's why I was in those classes. Um, I gave up the trumpet in junior high school because I really didn't like it much. And the, and the teacher we had, Ms. Sykes. Um, Joe, man. Uh, Can you remember anyway. her name? You remember like, her name? I don't Poor understand. I don't remember <laughs> yeah, well, anyone other she... than my elementary school gym teacher, and that's all. Like, I have mm-hmm. no recollection of. If you were to ask me if I played an instrument, I'd have to think really hard. I don't. I'm well, always mind blown by how much people remember about mm-hmm. their childhood. Miss Miss Sykes is so evil is not the right word, but just unpleasant woman. No. And and she just made. She's the reason a lot of people in uh, my junior high school quit the band or whatever. Yeah, the band. And then she moved. <laughs> then she followed me to my high school. And and two of the guys in the band, they were in the pep band. 
the marching band and the whatever. They were, they were really band geeks, hardcore. <laughs> and halfway through our senior year, they'd had enough. Mm. So during a class, they both stood up, Donald Vandervoort and Bill Nicholson. Donald Vandervoort. Okay. Yep, wow. Bill Nicholson. Yep. Stand, stood up in band class, turned around, and dropped trow and moaned Ms. Sykes. <gasps> oh, wow. What? Both, of course. Yeah. I mean, these guys were hardcore. Okay. You know, that's how bad she wow. was. Uh, wow. So anyway, they, of course, got kicked out of all the bands. And, yeah. I know, mean, as And then Bill should. went on to UNC with me and got clapped the first semester. But that's another story. Wait, um, did you say he wait, got the clap the first the semester? Clap. He got the clap. Yeah, he got the clap. <laughs> he and a guy named Rick slept with the same woman who told them both they were there. They were her first, and they both oh. got the clap. So neither one of them was their first. I don't know what that um, means. The clap, but it sounds. Really I feel bad. like we're really <laughs> gonorrhea. I don't know what that. Oh shoot! Okay. Oh it's an old... man! <laughs> My husband is laughing in the other room because he's, he's, he's like, like "How do you not know what the clap like, is?" I don't know like... what that means. Are we like? Is it like the slow clap when like someone does something? No. no. Okay. No, um, let's painful... let's get back to uh, <laughs> lots of antibiotics. To... Okay. Um, when did so you I was a, I, identify? I was, a geek, in grade, uh, oh, I was okay. a, great, a geek in grade school. I was a geek in junior high school in, in seventh and eighth grade. Yeah. And then ninth grade, um, did you guys ever see the movie Remember the Titans? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I lived it. Oh, ninth, okay. Ninth grade, we were integrated. And I played on the football team while I okay. rode the pine. Um, but we won 10 games. We, we won the championship, just like in the Remember the Titans. Huh. And we would warm up. Remember how the, I don't know if you remember the scene in the Titans, but we're going to warm up a little differently tonight. And they're out there doing this on the dancing. Yeah. 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 And we would do that all the way from where we were going junior high school to the stadium where we played, Hmm. you know, and I got to tell you for a white kid, it was a, it was um, a little bit of culture shock, you know, because white kids, two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar. Yeah. We can't dance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I get over there and just take your hat, your coat and leap. Take your hat, your coat. U G L Y. You ain't got no alibi. It was a little different feel to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so in ninth grade, I got my first pair of jeans. And by mm-hmm. high school, I loved high school. Mm-hmm. I, wow. I actually was going to stay an extra year. Back then, you could stay an extra year. I wanted to take a typing class. I wanted to take another year of Spanish. My trig was horrible. I got a really bad base of algebra, and so I wanted to try to beef up my mathematical skills. But my first wife goes, you'll be behind. Well, of course, you get to college, you find out there are people on four-year, five-year, seven-year, eight-year plans. Mm -hmm. There is no behind. Mm -hmm. Anyway, high school, the problem with high school is once you get it down to a science, they throw you out. They graduate you. Um, I almost didn't graduate because my senior paper, I failed. And the reason I failed was the teacher said to me, did you write this? I said, is that good? She goes, no, it's that bad. Hmm. I go, what's wrong with it? She goes, did somebody give you a pepper shaker full of commas? Uh, <laughs> because I, I write to be read out hmm. loud. So everywhere I would take a breath, naturally, I put a comma, which apparently hmm. is not grammatically correct. Hmm. So I had to go back and pull out all the commas. Actually, my sister's much better at it. I had her pull the commas that didn't belong. And uh, she she taught memoir and poetry and short story at Duke. She's uh, wow much better in, in grammatically than I am. Anyway, that so junior high school to eighth grade, complete dork. Ninth mm. grade began to, you know, and then by 10th grade, I was, you know, I mean, I was never a cool kid. I was a bridge kid. You know that term, bridge kid? 
No. No. I knew the nerds, the geeks. You know, oh, the, you were the bridge. You were the you guy in all the, the circles. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and I played football with most of the guys, so I never got beat up in the bathroom because I knew most of the black guys from playing football. So mm-hmm. that that's a sports is a great leveler, equalizer. Mm-hmm. They all knew me. You know what I mean? And, and we had <clears throat> mutual respect for one another, even though I'd never really played. I probably didn't play in a game, but I, I you know, went to practice every day. So in college, I hated it with a passion. Because my girlfriend went to Arizona, to University of Arizona. I'm in Carolina. Mm. So four-year, mm. long-distance relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. And I, and, I, and I was a virgin when I left college, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. Distance. That was that was very... <laughs> you, you really know was, how to get to the heart of the vulnerability. You just know how to share all of the details. Yeah, you know, That was a very important point to our editor. Make sure that you put that in the show notes. That's really... That's going to be... <laughs> yeah, well... That's going to be good for our SEO that, here's that the deal. Frank it King was, last... was a virgin when he left college. Like, well, very I important. I was faithful to my girlfriend 2,000 miles away. And the yeah. problem was, is it was the last four years of the sexual revolution. This is pre-AIDS. And there are 10,000 women mm. on campus. I should have gotten some kind of award at, at graduation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you should have. have the Virgin Award. I mean, the it, v, you should have won the, the VA, the Virgin <laughs> Award. Yes. Yeah, or Sigma Come Seldom. Um, yeah, the, you should have started your own fraternity. Oh, that's cute. You guys, yeah. I'm living my best life on this. I, is everybody just like cracking up on the way to work right yeah. now? Because that's, that's how I'm feeling. <laughs> like, I'm, I was silent uh, at the first little bit, but then the comedy kicked in. Um, yes, and um, it was... <laughs> it was, uh, like I said, the last four years of the sexual revolution, and I, n- I never got off a shot. So, just saying, you never got yeah, off. So. Okay, all right. It's a double entendre, and double he didn't entendre. get the clap either. So there right. you go. No, no, yes. two of my fraternity brothers did, but not I. Mm-hmm. Yes. Man. Tell me about how you started to identify that you had. You you mentioned that you were diagnosed with men- a mental health disorder, depression. Um. How did that evolve over the course of your life? Like when – do you know what your the trigger was that began it or was it just something that you had lived with throughout your whole – it sounds like high school was pretty fun. So yeah. how, how – High school was who, great. What, where, when, why, and how? Walk us through that and, and how it got to the point where you found yourself holding a gun to your own mouth. Like how did this well, happen? In my family, it's called generational depression and suicide. It runs in families. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. Mm. I'll spare you the details because it is horror movie horrible. It's in my first TEDx talk. Um, And and college, I was sad and melancholy, but it was because I I believed it was because I was separated from my girlfriend by 2,000 miles. Could have been depression, I suppose, but when it really reared its ugly head was... It was 1984. It was an afternoon about 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock is my low point in my day. I'm driving down Highway 163 in San Diego, miserably married, hating insurance, and the thought just occurred to me. A friend of mine said, it's like one of those planes that pulls a banner. Hmm. Like, why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? And I thought, hmm. ooh, where the hell did that come from? And that began, that's when I realized that I had an issue. And that's when I realized if I didn't do comedy, I was going to kill myself. And I've met half a dozen entrepreneurs who had the very same thought process. Look, this mm. is not my life. These are not my people. And I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing that. And if I don't jump, I'm going to jump. So mm. that was the first time I really realized. And I've never actually been 
clinically diagnosed. Hmm. But all my signs and symptoms, major depressive disorder, which is generally not situational. I've been most depressed some of the best times in my life. It's like a wheel with a flat spot. Every now and then it comes around. Last three days for me, sometimes some people last three weeks and recurs. And then chronic suicidal ideation, which is much more rare, which means that for me and people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. <clears throat> and I tell my audience when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbid. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidal ideation. The benefit of telling that story out loud is this. Katrina and I were at a jumpstart. Vanessa Emerson's jumpstart, the first one I went to. It was pre-COVID. I told that story in a, in a mini keynote that I did. Everybody's leaving the room except one dentist, a woman's coming toward me. And she's crying. Hmm. And she gets up to me and she's weeping so hard she cannot speak. So I said to her, you have chronic suicidal ideation. And she nods. I said, you didn't know it had a name. You just thought you were some kind of freak. She nods. I said, well, do you have a therapist back home? Nod. I will do this. When you get back home, make an appointment. And tell the therapist all you learned today. And for God's sakes, tell him you Googled it. Don't tell him you learned it from a comedian. And I got a, an email from her a week later. This is Frank. I think I was a jumpstart in large part simply to meet you. And you have changed my life. And I cannot say that about a lot of people. Hmm. Wow. And that's happened every time I've spoken since 2014. It makes me feel like George Bailey, that guy in It's a Wonderful Life. It's like I've been shown what these people's life would be like if I weren't there just simply tell them it's a thing, tell them they're not alone, that they're not a freak. And if I killed myself, this is one of the reasons I don't kill myself. If I kill myself, theoretically, I would take a lot of those people with me who never had a chance to hear me say those things out loud. Hmm. Wow. Wow. It's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's a purpose and a passion. Somebody asked me, well, how'd you pick suicide to talk about? Oh, well, it picked me. Yeah. Hmm. So it's in my I, DNA. I mean Irene had asked earlier about, um, so, you know, this is this kind of, it was an interesting trajectory how this all happened, right? Because you're doing the the comedy part. And for people who haven't seen you speak, um, you found a way to create this really interesting marriage between comedy and <coughs> suicide awareness, which it sounds like those two things don't slash shouldn't go together. Um, mm -hmm. But if anybody's going to be the expert on being able to put those two things together, it's <laughs> yeah. you. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I love that what you did is you really kind of moved into the space where you, for me, it sounds like you stepped into a deeper layer of your purpose. It was no longer about, you know, doing the the, the comedy shows and there, there's a beautiful place for comedy, but you, what you're really doing is you're creating a, a deep sense of awareness and you are helping people. You're normalizing the conversation. You're bringing that conversation forward and you're helping encourage others to look inside and, and identify. Um, I'm not a freak for thinking or feeling this way, but this is a very serious matter and something that I do need to talk about. And yet you do that with a very light, you know, comedic touch as well. And so um, I, I think that's amazing. How is it that you got involved in dentistry specifically? And what was that journey like for you? Uh, it was all part of a plea bargain. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's like going to, <laughs> speaking of dentistry, you're going to jail. Uh, I miscoded <laughs> something uh, to an insurance company or Medicare or somebody. Um, no, one summer, I can't remember where I was, but I bumped into Mark LeBlanc. Mm. former president of NSA. I'd known him since 1995 when we both belonged to NSA chapter in San Diego. We met there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, yep. Myself, Mark and a woman named Marilyn Sherman, still friends to this day. And Mark said to me, 
Frank, I got an idea for you. And by the way, anytime Mark says I got an idea, uh, I'm listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, I want you to go to Jumpstart. It's a couple of grand. I know it's a lot of money. I know it probably doesn't make any sense to you right now. It's a gathering of dental speakers or people who want to speak in dentistry. Mm-hmm. He said you really don't need the, you know, the classes because you've been doing this for 35 years. But but it's a good place to network. You might pick up a sponsor or two. And, and you know, I, he said, I know the dentists are like number five or six on the at-risk occupation list yep. for suicide. So, I, well, you know, when Mark says spend two grand to go to Jumpstart, I went to Jumpstart. Mm-hmm. And I realized shortly after I got there, you had these. So my, my feeling about speaking is this. First, you have to pick a lane. A lane. Mm-hmm. Become the vault leader, the expert. And so mm-hmm. suicide prevention, I already picked that lane. And then you have to find your ideal clients. Who has a pain point or a problem that what you have to offer can solve? Otherwise, they're not going to book you because I don't care how good the keynote is. Mm-hmm. So dentists have a high rate of suicide. I don't have to convince them that suicide prevention is a good idea. And so that was my first target market was dentists. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that veterinarians have a very similar uh, business model. Half a million dollars in college loan debt, which is really, really with dentists and veterinarians and physicians. That's the killer. It's mm-hmm. stress, not suicide. It's it's um, stress exacerbated or created mental and physical ailments. Um, the only difference really between the vets and the dentists is that the vets have access to barbiturates. Mm-hmm. 74% of vets who die, die by barbiturate. Uh, and the general population is only like 24%. Mm-hmm. So dentists were my second. And then physicians, similar business model. Uh, attorneys, who I didn't know how bad attorneys have it uh, mentally. And then um, hmm. construction is number one. Here's a stat for you. 1,000 construction workers die by accident every year. Hmm. However, 5,000 die by suicide every year. Wow. You are five times more likely to jump off a building than fall off a building. Hmm. So, but dentists were my first target market. And, and, and bless their hearts, I got the, I, the Seattle Study Club tracked me down. Because the industry realized we have a problem and we can't keep not doing something about it. So they, through Vanessa, they tracked me down. Hmm. And there was a showcase, kind of a one-off showcase in the middle of summer. Normally it's January. And so I went in and spoke. And that was the beginning. And now I'm on the, you know, the study club website. So I'm vetted by the study club. Oh, and I did something I'd never done before. I think they gave me 15 minutes. And at the time, one person died of suicide every 15 minutes in the U.S. <clears throat> so instead of a PowerPoint, I put a countdown clock on the screen. Hmm. And as soon as I hit the stage, it starts counting down, 15, 14, 59. And I said, in the United States, one person dies by suicide every 15 minutes. That means at this moment in this country, somebody in my tribe has less than 15 minutes to live. And so they're watching me and they're watching that clock. They're watching me and they're watching that clock. And I like to leave it on a high note. So with about 30 seconds ago, I said, the good news is you can make a difference. You can save a life. And you can do it by doing something as simple as we're doing right here. And that is start the conversation. And I already worked it out with the tech guy before their time runs out. And he stopped the clock at seven seconds. Hmm. And I mean, they're on their feet. They're laughing. They're crying. I mean, it was and the, meet, the uh, speaker's bureau person came up to me. She goes, Frank. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anybody do just 15 minutes, make them laugh, make them cry. Mm. That's amazing. (laughs) And a neurologist came up who was there to speak. She goes, you know what worked, Frank? 
is because you're not speaking from the brain. You are speaking from the heart. Yep. Wow. So that was my, that was the beginning of my, and the state of Washington, by the way, it's now mandatory mm -hmm. for all healthcare workers to have three hours suicide prevention CE to renew their license, chiropractors, mm. dentists, hygienists. I wish that was the thing here. I'm in Canada in the province of Ontario. There are very few people that talk about this here. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I wish that there were more for sure. No, that's, Especially, I'm doing my best. Yeah. I'm doing my best, Rena. <laughs> you know, and not only that, but it's we saw during the the you know SARS-CoV-2 outbreak um, that the stressors of owning your own business was very widespread. Um, yeah. But it seemed as though, um, and I just want to make an acknowledgement to the um, our colleagues that we lost during the pandemic um, because of suicide. We did see a lot of uh, dental professionals. Um, you know, take mm -hmm. their own lives and, uh, or hear about, um, them. And so, uh, this is, this is a very important topic. I think it, as things continue to escalate, um, and as to your point, Frank, as, um, student loan debt increases as the, the weight of purchasing a practice and in, you know, all of the stressors that dental professionals experience, um, you know, uh, that this is, uh, such an important conversation to have the awareness about mental health issues, about seeing what some of the sign stages or symptoms of mental health, uh, challenges could look like if you're a, a hygienist and you're listening to this, you know, are, are you seeing some of these behaviors and, in a, a colleague, in your doctor? And if mm -hmm. so, you know, do you feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, we're, we're happy to help. We're here to, you know, be here to support you. Can you see this or can you observe some of those in a, a longtime patient who you've been seeing for a very long time? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we are mandated uh, reporters. So, you know, the, the conversation about mental health is an important one. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it has been stigmatized for a long time. People like you, Frank, normalizing that conversation has been critical. Um, for people to feel comfortable even sharing about their thoughts so that, you know, they can begin accessing the level of care or therapy or, or you know, um, a psychiatry support that they need for some of these things. Um, and, and I think it's been something that has been swept under the rug for far too long. Um, yeah. and, and we don't, you know, we don't need to have these um, stressful situations, um, you know, uh, crawling across people's lives and then, you know, um, creating such a, we an, as like an event or an episode, you know? We as healthcare professionals too, like we see so much of their medical history. Yeah. And I think at some point in time, anyone in an operatory reviewing medical history sees a medication and maybe they perhaps they don't know what it is and they say, you know, what are you taking this for? And there's this like awkward quiet for some reason when a patient says, oh, it's an antidepressant or maybe yeah. they don't even say it's an antidepressant. They say it's for something else. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that it, it is an antidepressant or they're just they're ashamed to say what it is. And then it's this like awkward pause. It's like, oh, OK. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to tell me about your toothbrushing, like the comfortable topic that <laughs> right. we all talk about. So it's like, let's well, not address the elephant in the room that perhaps you're clenching and grinding your teeth now because SSRIs increase tension in facial muscles mm -hmm. or dry mouth or increased caries or increase or lack of appetite that perhaps is making you not get good nutrients. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're just not going to talk about it because it must be a sensitive topic. And fun fact, I actually witnessed in with my own eyes, a medical history form that asked, are you a touchy person? What? 
like WTF does that mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, are you sensitive? Are you, is like, are you a touchy person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I teach is the heart of my, the heart and soul of my keynote, signs and symptoms of depression and thoughts of suicide, what to say, what not say, what to do, what not to do, and how to find resources. And because, for example, one of the signs of depression is letting your personal hygiene go, including your dental hygiene. So somebody plops down the chair and maybe their hair is a little dirtier than usual. Their clothes aren't quite so clean. Probably can't get out of bed in the morning or run a little wash wash their hair, take a shower. And, you know, they've been really good about their dental hygiene, but it looks like cramity. They're not even flossing. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that at that point, that's when you would ask someone, are you, have you been feeling hopeless in the last couple of weeks? You know, um, is anything, something going on in your life that it to start the conversation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or if you got a team member, one of the other signs of depression is trouble getting out of bed in the morning, so they may be late to work frequently, mm. but they rally in the afternoon like they're a different person. Hmm. Uh, the other big one is eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep. So what do you say to somebody who's depressed? Well, here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Mm -hmm. Have you tried joy? Said, <laughs> if you tried if you're, joy. I mean, honest <laughs> to God. I said, look, if you're not talking about dishwashing liquid, I'm out of luck. <laughs> have you uh, tried joy <laughs> yes well and you probably wonder what you should say to somebody if somebody let's say a patient comes in because you know sometimes being in the dental chair is kind of like being at a barber shop or beauty parlor or bar mm -hmm. you tell the bartender or the beautician or the barber things you don't um right. let's say somebody says yeah i'm taking wellbutrin for depression are you depressed if they say yes you should say uh are you having thoughts of suicide just like that and if you can't say that out loud, whether it's a team member, a patient, then you find somebody who can't ask that question. Hmm. Because it's it's people think you should never mention the word suicide in front of somebody who's depressed because it'll give them the idea. You're right. Suicide. What a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> um, trust me, it's crossed their mind. Hmm. Hmm. So it's, it's you know, the hygienists, the team, they're in a unique position because the poor patient lying there, back, you know, laying back. Um, lying back, I'm sorry, lying back in a very vulnerable position, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, getting relaxed a bit and may say something that I had, a, I had a practice manager call me out of the blue. She'd heard me speak. A guy plopped down the chair and she asked how he was and he said he was depressed and suicidal. She goes, excuse me. She goes, I, she called me on her cell phone. Frank, what in the holy what do hell I do? do I do next? I said, well, um, you know, you need to ask him if he's having thoughts of suicide. Well, what if he says he is? I said, well, then you have to ask if he has a plan. And what if he has a plan? I go, you ask him what his plan is. <laughs> what? I said, if it's detail, time, place, and method, you need to ask him, can you get him as quickly as possible to a mental health facility or at least talking to the suicide prevention lifeline? Mm -hmm. um, and I said, if, if he's a danger to himself, you think, immediately, or somebody else, you need to call 911 and the police will come. Hmm. And the downside of that is, or upside, depending on your point of view, is if they believe he is actively suicidal, they will take him in front of a judge and try to get a three-day involuntary detention in a mental health facility. Now, he's going to be pissed. He's going to unfringe on Facebook, but he's going to still be alive. Yeah. So, And I never heard back from her, so I'm hoping. And when I told tell my dentists and hygienists and team members at an event, look, you should Google your county and free mental health services. 
Sure. And take the first ready. three pages. Yeah, and because you're going to get you're going to get free ones. You're going to get ones on a sliding scale on that page. You're going to get the Cadillac kind. We have to have a good insurance and a low copay. Mm-hmm. Put it in a white envelope, plain. And when they're checking out, just hand them the envelope. And very important, mm-hmm. 48 hours later, have somebody on your staff tasked to call them back. Hey, you know, when you are here the other day, you were kind of in a bad spot. How are, how are things going now? Just showing you care yeah. can plant seeds of hope. I love that. Wow. I think that's, I, I, that's I great. Think that, yeah. Those are questions that most of us don't feel comfortable asking. And as a business owner, I wouldn't even know where to begin if one of my team members shared that kind of information with me. I like... I don't ask because sometimes you not asking know. means you don't have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in retrospect, you know, no one asks me either. And, you know, the the people that need the most help are often the ones that appear to be handling it the best. Um, so, yes, worry yeah. about your strong friends. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, well, and most companies of any size have an EAP, Employee Assistance Program. Right. And so somewhere, you know, I tell the businesses, look, blow the dust off the binder and go in and find mental health and see what services are available through the company, whether Mm -hmm. it's telemedicine. Here's another tip for you. Let's say you have somebody on staff who is living with a mental challenge and and their medication isn't working. Only one in three people is thrilled about the medication they're taking. Right. The second one is it's okay, And the third one is they hit it with a passion. So. There's now a DNA cheek swab test like an Ancestry where they take your saliva, your DNA, and try to match it with, let's say, the antidepressant that works best with your metabolism. Hmm. So it narrows the list down to just a couple. So you get a lot less of that. Go on, doesn't work, taper off. Go on, doesn't work, taper off. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a form of precision medicine, and it gets better every year. What's wow. the name of that company? Do you know? Uh, yeah, there are six, five or six companies. The one that comes to mind is Gene, G-E-N-E-S-I-G-H-T, common spelling for site, genesite.com. Hmm. And if you do a Google search, just type in DNA, cheek swab tests, depression, drugs, and you'll find probably half a dozen companies. that do. It's a couple hundred bucks. Most insurances cover it. Some I think you can get over the counter. You don't have to have a prescription for it. Hmm. It's just a way of if, – yeah. if your meds aren't working – you need to, if if only one in three meds work really well for people, that means two thirds of the people are not getting what they need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. And That's really great information. And have a physical checkup. I've got a friend in Eugene who was terribly depressed. And so he had a physical and turned out his body was not metabolizing iron. And when they put him on a slow iron supplement, his depression symptoms disappeared. So sometimes a physical ailment will present as a mental illness. So get a mental health checkup and get a physical just to make sure it's not something organic going on in your body that's causing these mental health symptoms. Yeah. That's a great point. It's like that episode of Grey's Anatomy when when the when the when the doctor's hip replacement was leaking cobalt and everyone thought he had dementia, but really it was the cobalt. Just the cobalt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, that's the big one. Cobalt's a big one. That was my joke. That was, me trying to, that was me trying to make a funny joke to end it on <laughs> a, not a not a sad note. <laughs> yeah, well, let me let me end on not a sad note with you guys. Yes, please. What I do is I make them I make them laugh, make them cry, make them laugh. Okay. How much time do we have? Uh, fifteen seconds. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Take There's your time. Joke. Your, tell your joke. <laughs> okay. So the real reason, the one of the number one reason I don't kill myself, and I tell this next to last, is that my mother and father got married in the 40s, and they wanted to have kids, and, and my mother struggled to get pregnant. And she got pregnant, and she carried it to term, and almost immediately after birth, it passed away. And a year later, she got pregnant again. And she carried it to term, and shortly after birth, it passed away. <clears throat> Somehow, somewhere, she found the courage to try again. A third time when I was born, a fourth time when my sister was born. I have no idea where you, after carrying two to term, where you find the courage to try a third and fourth time. But, but the reason I don't kill myself, the number one reason is she was so brave <clears throat> and worked so hard to bring me here that I feel like I have to be as brave and work at least as hard to stay until my appointed time. And then I say to the audience, let me leave you on a high note. I don't know. People with mental challenges, mental health, mental illness often say, you know, I get tired of telling people when they ask me, I'm fine. Living the dream. Another day in paradise. Sometimes I want to tell them. I'll tell you, when I, I did two three-hour CEs back-to-back -back in Sacramento, I was exhausted. That's when I want to tell them. I get in the in the Uber with this nice kid. He looks at me in the we, our eyes lock in the rearview mirror. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing? And I thought, son of a gun, I'm going to tell him. I'm depressed and suicidal. How about you? Long pause. He goes, uh, what am I supposed to say to that? I said, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. I said, you're supposed to ask if I have a plan. Long pause. Our eyes are still locked in the mirror. He goes, uh, do you have a plan? And then it hits him. And he turns back to me and he goes, does it involve Uber? <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, poor guy. So that's the, that's Did the you make leave him, him a five-star review? You better have left him a five-star review. He probably did, left that's... you a one-star review. That is why you no longer can use Uber and that's, now that's you can why only you're only on Lyft. Lyft now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's how I finish. You know, I get them, I, they get a little teary during the other when I tell some other stories, personal stories. And then they get really teary, especially women, when I tell the story about my mom struggling to have a child mm -hmm. and having lost two. Um, and then then telling a story about Uber is like shattering glass mm. because it's comic relief. That's why they call it comic relief. I leave them on that mm. high note, you know, a hopeful note. And the last thing I say to them is, cause I believe you should make the audience, the hero of the piece. Mm -hmm. You can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as we're doing right here. And that is start the conversation before their mm. time runs out. Mm. Well, that is a, a wonderful place so to, to end this. Yeah. Do you agree, Katrina? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is it time? Tis time. Tis time. Frank, do you know what time it is? Uh, I know we've been <laughs> on for 47 minutes. It's um, 5 o'clock here almost in Denver Ooh, at the Denver International it's five Airport. 5 o'clock somewhere. Why are you at um, the Denver Airport? He's just I was in along. Tennessee yesterday at Tennessee Wesleyan speaking on oh. suicide prevention as a college health and safety issue. Three college students a day die by suicide, and that was before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, get this. Here's another stat for you. 60% of college students self-report anxiety. 60%. I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But I, not I'm surprised. actually I'm surprised it's not higher. on the low side, actually. Yeah. I, I think a lot. Well, well hygiene school, it's probably 100%. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and actually, suicide rates came down overall in the pandemic about a point and a half. 
the mm-hmm. only group where it went up, youth and college students. Wow. Yep. Wow. Wow. Well, that's not what time it is. It's that's, not yeah. that time. That is, it's the opposite of that time. It is the yeah. tooth or dare time. So mm-hmm. we are called oh. the tooth or dare podcast for a reason. Okay. At the end I'm of every ready. episode, Katrina and hey, I listen. do a rock, paper, scissors, and the loser goes up against you. You get to decide whether you accept or dish a tooth or a dare while you digest all of that. Katrina and I are going to do our our sacrificial uh, exercises for our fingers here. Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, and the you, rest you guys of- know... I have no secrets. We've covered yeah. clap. Well, we've covered... you might. You will figure it out. I've, I've we made know people he's cry with my questions. So okay. let's see how it goes. So while while we do our exercises here, stretching it out for this very, very, very uh, intense tooth or dare, the rest of you need to follow us on Instagram. You can follow me, Irene, at toothlife.irene. You can follow Katrina at the Dental Wine Genist. And Frank said he's not an Instagram guy. He's more of a LinkedIn guy. So check his uh, 24, 5 million thousand followers, 4 million views, and all of the connections in the world because he is the, the main man on LinkedIn. Yeah, Frank or King. go to The Mental Health Comedian, or as we say down south, The Mental Health Comedian. Um, I have four books that I co-wrote, co-authored on men's mental health, and the first wow. book is available for free. I, wow. I narrated it. You get an MP3 download, four hours and change on men's mental health. Amazing. Check mm-hmm. all of that out. We'll link that below. And Katrina, are you ready? I am okay, ready. ready. Let's do it. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors shoot. shoot. Oh, she beat me. She rocked my scissors. You rock rocked my your world. world, sister. Okay, Frank, you and me, would you like to accept or dish? I don't really. You know, I've never quite understood the game. Can you give me a little explanation of? Sure, yeah. So if you accept, that means that I get to either ask you a question or dare you to do something. If you do, if I dare you to do something or you dare me to do something, we film it and we put up our, uh, put it up on social media. Mm. If uh, if either of us ask each other um, a truth, then we we do it right here, right now. But the yeah, I, I I leave it to you. So do you want to accept something or do you want to dish out? I'll accept something. I think. Okay. Will you accept a tooth or a dare? Uh, a tooth. A tooth. Okay. Okay. Huh. So she's going to ask you something really steamy. Really steamy. Yeah, like we've not got secret about, job. Not, not about the time he lost his virginity. <laughs> I don't want to know about that. Um, yeah. Let's see. A tooth. Um, how did you get over, um, and we probably never really did get over it, but how, how have you learned to cope with your trauma of seeing someone die when you were young. Yeah, it's worse than that. What happened was my mother's generation decided she said that she would give up 10 years of her life if I forgot what I saw. And I did forget for a long time. It was walled off in my brain somewhere. And the family was told if he asked about his great aunt when they found her, to tell him that she was sitting there serenely with her hands folded in prayer. And in 2012, I repeated that myth mm. to a cousin who's 10 years older than I am. So for all those years, it was blocked off in my brain somewhere. And I'm telling you, it's horror movie like Stephen King, horrible. And in 2012, my cousin goes, what? Folded in prayer in my butt. And then he tells me the true story of what happened to me. And mm. it all came rushing back. Like it just, like it, you know, it was just hidden behind wow. some wall somewhere and it, it just crumbled. And that was when I realized that I had, you know, that's something that I could share 
with a trigger warning. Um, but yeah, that's how, so I didn't have to get over it. And, and my depression and thoughts of suicide, I didn't really tell anybody until I was 52. Didn't take any antidepressants until I was 60. Hmm. So it's been a, it's been a journey. Does that answer the. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that did. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Me? And are you okay now? Can I help you I with anything? Is there anything I can do to help you? I am the most positive suicidal person you'll ever meet. <laughs> you are. Oh, if somebody Frank. asks me that, I'll, I would say you need to yeah. meet How was your Frank interview King? with Frank? He's the most positive suicidal <laughs> well, guy can I tell you a secret about you'll that? ever meet. Um, <laughs> like we've got secrets. Yes, please. Um, chronic suicidal ideation. Most suicides, most often, is not about wanting to kill yourself. It's about ending the pain. And because I've already made the decision that I'd kill myself at any mm -hmm. time, I can stand a great deal more pain knowing that I'm in control. So ironically, my chronic suicidal ideation keeps me alive. Hmm. Fun fact. Wow. Fun facts with Frank. I yeah. Like wow. Well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to this <laughs> magnificent episode with Frank King. We appreciate you taking the time to hang out with a bunch of just dental nerds here. Um, mm -hmm. And if anyone needs to reach out to speak to anyone about anything you might be feeling, we're going to link a bunch of stuff below. Mm -hmm. And you can always reach out to Katrina and I on Instagram. I mean, our DMs and are always open. Yes. Um, uh, Frank, yeah, Publish also, my cell phone number if you would. I'm sure. He, he, yes. I tell my eyes. Yeah? I okay. The one, the one 800 one or the one <laughs> yeah, 900 right. What are you wearing? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's 858 <laughs> Well, <laughs> that one, 858-405. Yeah, because I tell I, I, every keynote okay. I do, I put we'll it on put the screen. I go, look, if you're suicidal, call the lifeline. If you're just having a bad Perfect. day, call a crazy person. Here's my cell. And people call. Okay. Mm. Okay. Wow. Let's do it. We'll That's do amazing. it. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time, peace out, peeps. Cheers. And we're back. Katrina, we're back on the flippity flip. From the flippity flip. Yeah. From the flippity flip. So good. Oh, well, wow. that what was a, uh, that was quite an episode. I feel episode, yeah, just amazing. I, my Irene hope of, is Irene of Wednesday I, did not know how valuable this episode would be until yeah. Irene of today, and I think like Irene of today, which is the day before you guys even listen to this, if you're downloading it right away, um, like that day you I think you were like how does this happen to you like how do things like this and I I say this all the time I feel like people tell me stuff and it's like I have talked to me on my face but this person was like a complete stranger I had never spoken to didn't even know who was answering those emails mm -hmm. and like just evident that like they just needed someone to know or talk to yeah and yeah that might be someone that you know that just needs someone to talk to. You know, I'll tell you, it's really amazing. Um, I, I, and we've all had these experiences in clinical practice. Um, I'll never forget about two weeks after my mom died, uh, I was working in clinical practice and I had a, a patient sit down in the chair, an elderly male patient. And, you know, pleasantries like you always do. Hey, Mr. Jones, how's everything going? And he said, my wife passed away last week. Mm. And, and he was just beside him. I mean, they had been married for forever. And of course, this felt very fresh for me because I had just returned from my mom's funeral and saw how, you know, just absolutely torn my dad was. And um, I, I'm very lucky. 
I worked for a dentist at that time that trusted me. And I, I, I remember I put my equipment down. I was about to take a radiograph or something. So I put the sensor down and I just said, we don't have to do anything today. We can just sit and talk. And that's all he wanted to do was literally just sit and yeah. talk. So yeah, I didn't bill out the profi and the four bite wings and whatever. Um, but he, he, tell me about her. Tell me about your wife. Tell me what you miss mm-hmm. about her. You know, tell me about your favorite memory with her. I, I think we forget sometimes how important that is that we we do have that opportunity to um, pour into our patients in more ways than just what our hand skills will provide. So um, I implore you to consider that. Um, you know, I, I I think this was such a timely episode to have come out. We know that um, mental health issues are very rampant, particularly in this outbreak. Um, with isolation and, you know, some of the challenges of furlough, job loss, unemployment. So um, your patients are experiencing some of these challenges. And if you can see some of the key warning signs or be a partner in that, mm-hmm. um, what what a beautiful way to, to be um, a part of something bigger than yourself. So, yeah, it was, there was an interesting part where um, Frank said, you know, people, they come in and they share, like, I think I've mentioned, like, they share a lot about their, their medications that they take with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the questions that he said was, you know, the follow-up when you ask someone about how they're feeling, are they feeling hopeless? That was mm-hmm. one word that he used. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, do you ever have suicidal thoughts? And I remember like leaving that episode on Wednesday and I do my best thinking in the shower as mm-hmm. do you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> most of us do, right? Like you're in there and you're just soaping up and I use purple shampoo. So I have to be in there for 10 minutes. I'm like, what am I doing for 10 minutes? So I'm going to think about what I did today. I reflect back on like when, when Frank said something about someone being hopeless and having suicidal thoughts. And it's like, well, how the heck do you like open that conversation and ask someone? Um, and I guess you don't really realize how important of a question it is until you were that person that was hopeless and had suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And so I thought about that when I had this conversation with this person on the phone, obviously I knew that they had suicidal thoughts, but I will forever ask questions differently in my operatory from this moment. I think we all have mm-hmm. like the reason you do perio a certain way or like the reason you probe a certain way or how you explain what a cracked tooth is. Like you do that because you did it once and it worked out well and then forever that is now your thing. It's right. like the way that you communicate. So I feel like this was definitely a a communication changer for me as like a, a clinician yeah. and a human like – I'll ask my friends different questions now mm-hmm. instead of like, how are you when someone, you know, is like obviously not in a good place. My questions will be a little bit different. Yeah. Weird. It's powerful. Yeah. It, it, these are things that forever change you and impact to yeah. your point, your, your practice philosophy, like what, what you're now looking for. It's like when, if somebody finds oral cancer on a patient and you've saved their life, you will never skip an oral cancer screening ever again. Like you just, you won't, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's a part, it's yeah. ingrained in you. Yeah. And this is an experience yeah. that, um, you're forever going to take with you. And, and certainly, um, you know, I, I've been so inspired by what, not only what Frank said, but how beautifully you handled that when you were not feeling your best. So, Oh um, man, I don't know. I don't even know if I handled it perfectly at all. Like I did the first thing that I thought I should do because I knew something from, from this past week, like it, it, all of the stars aligned, like had I not gotten sick, had I gone to work, I would have been with 
that mm-hmm. my patients on Fridays right. are back to back. I don't take a break and I don't check emails. Nope. Like had that all not happened, I don't know what would have happened. Like uh, this, this person I is currently like, I, like, sure I currently don't have here. anyone yeah. managing that email address instead of like only right. me. So right. it's just like if that all didn't happen, yeah. I don't know. And maybe this person is still going to do it. Like, I don't know. I, I hope not. I hope yeah. they've got the help that they need. But the reality is I'm, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's just yeah. fate is a weird thing. Sure is. That I didn't always believe in. Yeah. It's beautiful. Anyhow. Anyways. Well, um, thank you. Big, big thank you to our, our peeps at Perrier Protect for sponsoring such a, such uh, a heavy life-changing episode. Yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean... It's fun to talk about all of the crazy cool things that we get to do, but I guess the important part is also sharing the realities that yeah. sometimes you deal with heavy stuff. And it really means a lot to have sponsors that support that and that allow us to be our open, honest selves while sharing their very important messaging too. So thank you yeah. for, for sponsoring this episode and um, thank you to Frank. Like, Yeah. Thanks, buddy. You're, you're a good guy, man. Like, yeah. He's amazing. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, Anywho. so good. Um, well, um, thank you everybody thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast with your friends, me, Katrina, the dental wine genus, <laughs> and your favorite Canadian <laughs> tooth life, Irene. Oh my goodness. <laughs> thank that you, everybody. Thank this you. was beautiful. Have a wonderful uh, week or so, and uh, we will catch you for our next episode. Peace out, peeps. Peace out, peeps. Cheers. <laughs> <clears throat> Let me clear my throat.